Good morning. Y'all doing good? Amen. I know you're all comfortable, sat down, but you know, you know how we do. Could you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 again. We're going to be in verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. This morning we're going to talk about what it looks like to be seasoned by persecution. Remember last night we closed out the time with the understanding that you will be persecuted as a Jesus follower. Because when you live as a kingdom citizen, you're not living like the, the people who are part of this city of man. You're, you're going to have a distinct lifestyle. So that will come with persecution, but that doesn't mean we have to cower back and be afraid. So the word of God says this in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, in this moment that we have together, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to every single one of us. I pray that as the word of God is proclaimed, that you would speak to us in the individual stories that we have. And that you will encourage us to seek the light of Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would then give us the energy to not just be hearers of the word, but become doers of the word. That we could then be the light and salt for the places that we live in, the schools that we go to, the teams that we participate on, and the environments that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we're continuing this theme of kingdom come, and last night I talked about that the Beatitudes show the legit life of what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. This passage today, I think, helps us to understand that when we live as the salt and the lights in a dark, decaying, and dying world, it will lead to persecution. But the persecution actually provides us with opportunities to show purity, the presence of God, so that others would then praise God. So persecution actually allows us to embrace an opportunity to become more purified. It allows us to see and feel God more closely with his presence. And the idea then is that it would rock the way that we live so that other people would join us in praising God. So the first thing I want us to walk through is how persecution actually reveal, reveals how we can be pure. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, this word you is written in such a way that he's not talking to an individual. Jesus is talking to every kingdom citizen. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a kingdom citizen. Kingdom citizenship is nothing that you can purchase, right? It's not like the verified status on Instagram or Twitter where you get the little blue verified check mark next to your name that they just randomly give out to people. It has nothing to do with how much influence you have. The only way that you can become a citizen of the kingdom of God is by declaring spiritual bankruptcy. And that's what we talked about last night. So when Jesus says you, he's talking to the Jesus follower. He says you are the salt of the earth. 
And the way that this is written is that we can actually translate it in English is that you are to keep on being the salt of the earth. Saltiness is not just a one-time event. It is something that we have to continue to add to the rhythm of our daily lives. Now, Jesus' hearers would have thought of salt a little bit more different than we do. Salt we just see on tables or we use in cooking. But the reality of salt in Jesus' day is something where it was used as a medicine. It was to help cleanse wounds. At the same time, it did provide flavor for food, but it also preserved food before refrigeration. They didn't have refrigerators back in those days, or ice boxes or freezers like we do. So the way that they would preserve their food and their meat was with salt. So salt would fight against the process of decay. It would slow it down. So the reality of Jesus saying to his hearers, you are the continual salt for the earth, what he's saying is, is that I'm thrusting you into the city of man to now be an agent of purification, an agent of slowing down the process of decay that is all around you. And the fact that Jesus says that you are for the earth, he's thinking of the entirety of the globe, that our faith that we are a part of, the kingdom of God, is not just here. But it's a global reality where God is drawing sinners from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and gender, and social class to come to him and become kingdom citizens all over the world. But it needs people to go all over the world to proclaim the message of the gospel. So what we see is that Jesus is telling us that we are to be God's agents of purification, we are to be like an antiseptic, if you will, because we live in a sin-infected world with sin-infected systems that is led by sin-infected people. So even one of the questions that we talked about this morning, how does that impact you at the age you're at? You know what? God is commissioning his followers, his kingdom citizens, into the spheres of life in all of our societal structures. Because when we are excellent at something, or we have a passion, or a gift, or a talent, or an ability that's given to us by God, we must learn to integrate, which means bring our passion, our talent, our gift, our education, our abilities, bring it together with our faith, not separate it. But bring it together for our faith so that we can see that that is our passport for mission. And I believe that every single Jesus follower is a missionary. That every single one of us is called to live out the mission of God, which is that all of his creation would give him glory. So we in the church, we have a mission that has been given to us, and that mission is to unveil our life so people see what it looks like when Jesus is king over every area of our lives. And when we do that, that, inclo that includes how gifted you are playing Fortnite. That, that includes how gifted you are with graphic design. That includes how gifted you are with sports or academics. That includes how gifted you are with building things or putting things together or working on cars. Like whatever your passion is, integrate it. Bring it together with your faith in Jesus. So as you're being excellent at what you're passionate about, you can give honor and glory to God when people are amazed at the great things that you're doing. And you can do that now. You don't have to wait till after college. You don't have to wait till after high school. You can do that now because if you're a Jesus follower now, that is how you are being salt for the earth. Salt also adds flavor. 
like, I don't know about you, but I don't like eating bland food. I don't. So I got to throw some salt, some pepper, some paprika, some chili, whatever it is that's necessary of that dish in that moment. I want to add that so that the, the food is more flavorable. What do we think about it is, man, God's people add flavor to the lives of those around them. But it's a godly flavor. That's why God wired you with the personality he gave you. That's why God has given you certain insights or the mind that you have. Some of y'all are very quick-witted. You can come up with great funny things to say. Some of y'all are very insightful, and you can come up with something very clear to say in a moment when people are confused, and that's a gift from God. And when you use that for the glory of God, you're adding flavor to other people's life. And they're going to be like, man, I want to be around you. Like, I want to hear your perspective. I want to hear your wisdom, your knowledge, your insight. You're adding flavor to the lives of people. But what we got to recognize is in Romans 14, 17, Paul tells us, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what that means is we can't get stuck on the things in life that really have no eternal value. So as we're adding flavor, let our flavor be that which goes back to the Word of God and how we speak the Word of God in a timely moment. Like, you wonder what a timely moment looks like. It's when your friend says that they're going to kill themselves. How can you add flavor to that situation by engaging God's Word and showing them their value and their worth? That the one who created them did not create them so that they would take their own life, that their life has value, their life has meaning, that they will be missed, that they are needed, especially in your life. You can bring them into dialogue with God in that moment, and that is adding flavor in that moment. But what if somebody says that because they were molested, they don't like themselves, they hate themselves, and they do things to themselves because they, they don't think that there's any value that they have. You can bring flavor by adding God's word, by showing them how he is a God that redeems our stories, even in the worst of brokenness, that they now, because of what they have encountered, that they need to be comforted, they need to be loved, they need to be embraced, because when they allow the wounds of their, their childhood, or maybe what they're enduring right now, when God heals those wounds and there's a scar, that means that scar is evidence that God is able to heal. And the reality of that scar then allows them to go to the next person who is being abused, who is being raped, who is being molested, who is being touched inappropriately, and to say, you don't have to end your life. You don't have to kill yourself. You are valuable. Look at my scar. God healed me. He can heal you. That's flavor. That's flavor. But see, if you take your life, you can't add flavor. Why do you think Satan wants you to kill yourself? Why do you think he wants you to be so depressed and so stuck on yourself that you never look up to see God because he does not want you to add flavor from God's word to your life or the life of others? So you've got to prophetically stand against Satan and every demon in hell and every memory in your mind and say, I will add the flavor of God's word to my life in this moment. But it's not just flavor. It's also preservation. Preservation. There's a decay in our world today. We know it. We live in a very, very fallen and broken world where real pain and real hurt is a reality. And I praise God that we serve a God who wrote us a love letter. 
that actually addresses the brokenness and decay of our world. The Bible is not some book of fairy tales that is disconnected with a happily ever after every single page. No, there is real legitimate brokenness. There is injustice. There are scandals. There are families that are ripped apart. There are people who are murdered. Like there's so much drama in the word of God that we have to remember God's word is a story. It is a story that God is writing so that we can recognize that he is in control. And the story includes the brokenness of human beings that God loves enough to redeem. And the end of the story Legitimately, God is moving all of human history to the end of the story when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, literally, and we now recognize that he makes all things new. So the story of God legit ends with the kingdom here, we, with Jesus, and all of the brokenness of our past, all of the brokenness in society, it's done. It's been purged away, and it will never come back again. So the tension that we have is living with the future in mind, but with the reality of the hell that we live in the midst of now. And we can't act like heaven, and we can't act like the new heavens and new earth doesn't exist because it does. But equally, we can't act like the hell that we live in now doesn't exist because it does. Welcome to the tension of Christianity. That we hold both of these in tension every moment of every day. And the process of decay that is around us, God is sending us into that decay so that we would be preservation, so that people's lives would be able to hear that there is an end of the story that is glorious, that is wonderful, that is majestic. It's the opposite of now, but you must enter into the kingdom to experience the joy of the legitimate kingdom of God that will take shape soon and very soon. We are the preservation. So as a kingdom follower, we have a choice to make. Will I be salt? Or will I lose my flavor? Jesus says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Jesus lived in a day where they didn't separate the salt from salt water like we do in our day. He lived in a day where the salt was produced in salt marshes, like swamp-type environments. And so what they would do is they would leach out the impurities so that they would have salt left that could be used for table salt, that could be used for preservation of food, that could be used as the antiseptic. But the residue that would be leached out, that's what they threw on the road. You know, when it snows and we got ice and we get the rock salt, like we think about it in that way, is that this was used specifically to be trampled on. So the question is, if I do not operate as the salt for the earth that Jesus has called me to be, then what does he mean by being trampled on? Well, number one, you still remain a kingdom citizen. So he's not talking about you being kicked out of the kingdom. What he's talking about is the world walking all over your witness. The world will trample your reputation because the world hates Jesus. So when we are not living as salt that Jesus has commanded us, and we do that by choosing to sin, 
We do that by choosing to do what we want, by choosing to worship the idols, even of ourselves, instead of loving God and obeying the word of God. When we make those decisions, and when we are found out, and when we have to endure consequences, and then when we hear, see, the church is fake, Jesus ain't real, that's why I don't like organized religion, that is what it looks like when the world tramples over the salt. And we have to redeem the name of Jesus in the eyes of the culture. What does that mean? Well, just because the culture rejects Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus loses value. Jesus remains infinitely worthy of all praise. God is worth every ounce of praise that all of creation should render to him. So God never loses his worth. We just mess up his reputation. And that's where we have to humble ourselves by confessing our sin and repenting from our waywardness. And repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance says, I acknowledge that what I did was wrong. And I acknowledge that what I did is not in step with what God has asked me to do as a Jesus follower. So I admit that I did these things. I confess that I did it. I take full ownership that is confession. Repentance is, now I walk the opposite of what I was once doing. I walk the opposite of what I was once doing. The world needs to see more Christians walking in repentance. Walking in repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9-11, through 11, that's where Paul tells us this is what real repentance looks like. Where you have a healthy fear that you know you're going to go back to that sin unless you put accountability systems in your life. You know that your sin wants the pleasure of that sin. And so you have to recognize and say that I don't want my flesh to give in to that sin. So I have a fear of that sin in the sense that I respect it. Because the minute that we think, oh, I went three weeks without looking at porn, boom, I probably guarantee you're going to fall into porn very soon. Because when you think, oh, it's all about me and in my strength I do this, your strength actually shows how weak you really are. But being in a place of weakness is okay because it shows you need Jesus. And when you're in a place where you know you need Jesus and you're pursuing the feet of Jesus, that's a good place to be, brothers and sisters. That's where repentance is real. So if the church, which is made up of Jesus followers, kingdom citizens, does not live as salt, we put ourselves in the place for the world to walk over our witness. And they will continue to walk in darkness unless we reflect the light of Christ. So persecution also reveals God's presence through the church in our world today. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, this word you, he's speaking to every kingdom citizen. He says, you, kingdom citizen, Jesus follower, you are the light of the world. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, and in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the servant of the Lord, which is the prophetic language talking about Jesus before he was born. The servant of the Lord would be a light to the nations, showing God's salvation would reach throughout the entire globe. Not that every person would be a follower of Jesus, but rather the message of the kingdom would be proclaimed and made visible through kingdom citizens throughout the globe. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and his followers will no longer walk in darkness. In John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus once again said, I am the light of the world. So those who follow Jesus and embrace him as Savior, we are called to walk in purity. When we walk with purity in our rhythm, we're walking in the light. 
which is a direct opposite of the life that we used to live, which is in direct opposite of how those who are citizens of the city of man live their life. Ephesians 5.8 tells us, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So therefore, walk as children in the light. Philippians chapter 2.15 says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world. You go to a shopping mall. You go to a jewelry store. What you will see is the most beautiful diamonds that they want to showcase will always be contrasted behind a dark cloth, preferably black. And they'll have a black cloth, and they'll have a little pedestal, and they'll even have black felt around it. And they will have the diamond ring or the diamond necklace positioned in a way where the light hits it. And because it's contrasted with darkness, it pops, and it jumps out. And everybody could be walking like, dang, you see that? Like everybody, it catches the attention. The world is dark. But if we are kingdom citizens... We are to allow the light of Christ to shine on us so that we can make the light more visibly radiant to the darkness of the people in our homes and in our schools and in our communities so that they will not turn to us, but that we would point them to the source of light, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus says a city set on a hill will not be hidden. This is resembling the language in Isaiah chapter 2 when Jesus sets his kingdom up in the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be elevated above all of the world and the world will gather to worship Jesus. And the reality of what we see is that the kingdom is going to be global. And if we're the preview, remember we're the movie trailer for the coming kingdom, then we should live in a way that we are making our walk with Jesus noticeable to people around us. When we walk outside and you see that tall hill with them tall trees, well, you look to the very top of those trees. And to the very top of those trees on top of that hill, I guarantee that any bird that lands on the very top of one of those trees, it can survey the entirety of the city around them. And what Jesus is saying is that is the most visible reality to the society today. Something that is elevated that can overlook. And when we think about that and we're thinking about what Jesus is saying is, what he's saying is the church, my Followers, the kingdom of God should be visible to everybody where we see the world and the world sees us. He doesn't say just stay with your head in the ground like an ostrich. He says, no, oversee, look at the world, consider the world, and let the world consider you, my citizens, so they would see that they could be drawn to worship me by the way that you love me and by the way that you live your life. Jesus saves us to be seen by people, not to go into hiding. We are saved to be seen. That's why I say no matter what your talent is, God could call you maybe to become a professional athlete. God could call you to become a professional trainer. God could call you to be a graphic artist. God could call you into politics. He could call you into healthcare. He can call you into education. All these different career fields. And the many, many that I did not mention, Jesus is looking for kingdom representation by people who do excellent work in all of those spheres of influence who are kingdom citizens that can represent him in the mission field of their workplace. The same thing is the reality for your school right now. In Acts chapter 17, Paul tells us God determines where we live. 
Remember when I talked about my family being called to Los Angeles in Long Beach? Like, God wanted my family there. My daughters and my son, they go to the schools that God has designed for them to be in. And the reality of that is so that they have an opportunity to shine in the middle of a dark space in their public schools. And for some of you that are homeschooled and maybe your parents don't know the Lord, you need to shine in the midst of that homeschool environment. Because wherever God has positioned you as a Jesus follower, where there are non-Jesus followers, that's the mission field. And for some of you, it is your home. For most of us, it is our school. It is where we work. It is where we move and live and play. That if there are human beings who are alive and do not know Christ, that's the mission field, brothers and sisters. The mission field is not just in every country represented in these flags outside of that American flag. America is included in that because America is a mission field. Because there are millions and millions and millions of people in our nation that do not know Jesus. They are not part of the kingdom. So God has positioned you where you are to shine and be seen. Jesus says, nor do people put a light. Do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand to give light to the whole house? The houses in Jesus' day would be like a studio apartment in our day. And they would just light a lamp and put it on top of a stand. And it would give light to the little 500 to 800 square feet of that house. In our day, I think a better parallel would be you're in a dark room and you've got to walk from point A to point B. You don't take your phone out, turn the flashlight on, and put it right back in your back pocket and keep walking. Like, it's like, why would you do that? Like, who does that? Who literally turns on their phone in a dark room, puts on a flashlight app so that you can see, but then you say, yeah, let me put it in my back pocket and let's keep walking. Like, nobody does that. You'd be like, that's foolish. Well, in the same way, what Jesus is saying is nobody declares spiritual bankruptcy and then hides the fact that they've been set free from their debt. Nobody should hide that. Nobody should say, oh, yeah, I'm going to put this light in my back pocket. I'm going to carry my Bible in my backpack. So technically, if somebody asks me, did you take your Bible to school? Yeah. It's that reality of, nah, man, I'm not ashamed of my faith in Jesus. Just like I wasn't ashamed of my sin when I was in my sin, I'm not ashamed of my Savior now that I'm in my Savior. That's a reality we have to live with. So there's, all, there, there's an evangelistic aspect, but there's also a discipleship aspect to this I don't want us to miss. So when it comes to being the light evangelistically, what Jesus is saying is make Jesus known. Make the light known. Connect people with their questions back to what God's word has said. So that means you, Jesus follower, need to be diving into the word of God to legit know what the word of God says. You can't always text the pastor. You can't always Google it. There's times to do that when they ask you the most random question, and that's okay. But the reality is that if you are legit engaging in the word of God, then you should be able to give answers directly rooted back from God's word. Some of us do it with sports statistics. Some of y'all love LeBron. Some of y'all love Steph Curry. Some of y'all love whoever your favorite athlete is. And if somebody were to give statistics, oh, no, 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 see what happened was in his third year, da, 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 and then he had the ankle injury. Like, you could rattle that stuff off. Or some of us love music. And I could ask you to quote songs, quote lyrics, stuff that's old. 
Stuff that, you know, people really don't play on Spotify. And you still know it if you like the artist. And you're like, oh, yeah, that song, boom, 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 boom. It's like, oh, man, you know that. But when it comes to quoting the word of God, it's like, ah, I don't know. Let me, let me Google it. See, we have to raise our level of excitement of diving into the word of God. And we have to begin to say, Lord, I want to just read the Bible to get my parents off my back or to get my pastor off my back. I want to read the word of God so I can know the word of God. Because if I know the word of God, I'm going to know how to live. I'm going to know the character of God. Because you need to know the character of the God you serve, especially in the moments of depression. Because in the moments of depression, you want to believe the lies of your flesh and the enemy. You want to believe that God has no more love for you. You want to believe that God hates you. You want to believe that God has forsaken you, he's forgotten you and abandoned you. You want to believe the church doesn't care for you. You want to believe those things because it's easier for your flesh to believe that in that moment of weakness and temptation. But you have to go back to, the God, to God's word to see that all those things are not found in the scriptures. They're not. But you won't know that unless you're engaging with Scripture. So what Jesus is saying is engage with his word so that when people who are in darkness begin to ask questions about your source of light, you take them to Jesus directly. And you're able to tell them that salvation is a gift that comes with many gifts. Okay? Salvation is a gift that comes with many gifts. Let me give you an example. On my 21st birthday, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, so I guess technically she's my ex-fiance and ex-girlfriend. But anyway, so my wife, Elysia, she wasn't my wife at the time. But on my 21st birthday, she gave me the most memorable birthday gifts that I've ever been given. She threw a surprise birthday party after church in the parking lot of a business in the section of Kansas City that a lot of tourists go to called the Plaza. And so we pulled up. And it was like, you know, six to ten other homies from the church that was there. And they was like, surprise. And I was like, oh. Like, I didn't know it was going to happen. And I was like, dang. So, right? And everybody was like, yo. And I was like, ah. Like, you know, like all that was going on, right? And so then all of a sudden, like, Alicia just comes out the back singing happy birthday with a birthday cake. And I'm like, yo. Like, dang. Right? And they all got, like, knives and forks. Like, hey. And I'm like, all right, bet. So, like, you know, we're singing happy birthday, blow out the candles. I'm an old man at this time. I'm 21. <laughs> I know y'all like, dang, that's old. Yeah, okay. In light of the fact I'm 38, 21 is a young buck, right? So I blow out the candles. We cutting the cake. Then all of a sudden, I don't know how magically Alicia did it. She like just came with this wicker basket with blue, blue paper and said, happy birthday. And I'm like, would you brought me your laundry? I'm like, what is that? She's like, it's your birthday gift. Singular, it's your birthday gift. And I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, open it up. So I take off the baby blue wrapping paper, which is my favorite color, and I take it off, and I'm like, oh, wow. And in this basket are all kinds of gifts that mean a lot to me. My favorite snacks. So there was a king-size Snicker bar right there. I was like, dang. I was like, yo, Snickers are my favorite. She's like, I know. Right next to it, it's a bag Family size of regular Chex Mix. She knows that's my favorite, like, you know, salty and savory snack. There's some vanilla scented candles. Now, the reason she put those in there is I have a very, very dull sense of smell. I can't smell that well. But the one smell that I can smell is vanilla. And so she got these vanilla candles for me to light and know that I could actually smell the aroma of them. And I was like, wow. Then all of a sudden I look, and this was amazing because then she purchased a box of Twinkies. Now, this was before they filed bankruptcy and had to sell the recipe. So these were the original real Twinkies, not the knockoff today. And so I was like, man, and then I saw 
Well, let me qualify. Before we streamed videos and Netflix was a thing, we used to have these things called VCRs back in the day. And okay, so y'all know, all right, all right, all right. And so what we would put in the VCR were these like rectangular concoctions and we would push it in. And magically, I know, it was a lot of work. We had to press this button with the triangle that said play. So we would press play and magically, modern science at that time in human history allowed whatever was on that, 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 that thing of a dinosaur to project a picture on this thing called a television that actually had a back that went this far back, right? So it was crazy, right? So the actual VHS movie is one of my all-time favorite movies, Karate Kid. Yes. The original, no shade to Jaden Smith, but eh. The original were Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son. So I show that movie to my kids. We stream it now, but I showed the movie to my kids, right? So quick thing. So our first, one of our first family dates where I take my wife and my kids and we all decide where we want to go. If you're familiar with the movie, Karate Kid, it was filmed obviously in Los Angeles. So we legit live like 12 minutes from the place where Daniel took Allie on a date called Golf and Stuff. So our first family date was to Golf and Stuff because everybody at the crib loves the original Karate Kid, right? So that Karate Kid movie was in there, and I was just blown away by all the stuff that she gave me because every single thing meant so much to me. She could have gave me a phone. She could have gave me something that cost a lot of money, and I'd have been like, wow, you didn't have to do that. But what was more meaningful to me were all those gifts that had personal attachment to my life. And she knew it, so all those gifts meant so much. Salvation in Jesus is a gift with many gifts. See, you get forgiveness for your sins. You get adopted into the family of God. You get the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And he confirms that you are a legit child of God. You get the assurance that you're going to be in the kingdom when Jesus makes it manifested. You get the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you to walk with you day by day. You get the assurance that the presence of God will remain with you even when you sin, even when you don't read the Bible, even when you don't pray, even when you don't share your faith. God is still with you, and he is patiently loving you and laboring with you to prepare you to keep representing him. So when you shine your light, people will say, who is this God that you serve and what can he do for me? You can say you can receive the gift of salvation found only in Jesus that comes with all these other gifts and then some that are identified in the word of God. That's why Satan doesn't want you to be a city on a hill. That's why he doesn't want you to let your light shine. But also it leads to our discipleship because sometimes we overcomplicate discipleship. Discipleship really is this. It's learning together with another believer what it looks like to make Jesus king over every area of my life. That's discipleship. It's messy. We confess our sins. We become vulnerable. And we go back to the word of God. And we challenge each other what it looks like to live out the word of God in every area of our lives. When I say every area, I'm telling you, from your studies to your sex drive, to how much time you play Fortnite, to what music you listen to, to even the way that we eat, even the way that we sleep, 
the way that we respond to our parents or our guardians, the way that we respond to our siblings, whether they're older or younger, the way that we even love ourselves, the way that we even communicate to other people, the way that we excel in our passions, the way that we keep our passions from becoming our idols and still worshiping Jesus. Like discipleship deals with every aspect of our story. It's not just our head knowledge. It includes our heart, our hands, our feet, and everything in between. Because as Jesus followers, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit is working with us to look more and more like Jesus. So as kingdom citizens, we are to reflect the light of Jesus in a dark world so that people would praise our God. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. We're to reflect the light. The perfect example is the moon. The moon. The moon does not have light in itself. But in the evenings, when it's clear, and you see a full moon, and you see how bright it is, all it's doing is reflecting the light of the sun. We are like that moon. The reality is we are called to illuminate the darkness by reflecting the light of Christ into the space and time that we live in, pointing people back to our light source, who is Jesus, the Son of God. He says, do it before others. And as I bring this to a close, I want us to wrestle with this. Because it seems contradictory. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying Jesus saved us to be seen, and we're supposed to let our light shine before others. But isn't that kind of like seeking attention? Isn't that kind of like wanting people to praise you? Well, it could be if your heart's not in the right place. It's an issue of the heart. Because later in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, that kind of sounds like against everything I've been saying. But then Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets that they may be praised by other people. Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. Or in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly they have received their reward. So, so, so I shouldn't pray in front of anybody at any time? Or when we get up here, were we wrong for praying? Was Matt or Brian or myself, are we wrong for praying in front of people? Well, it all goes back to the motive, not the method. It goes back to the motive. If my heart or Matt's heart or Brian's heart is all about, oh, well, I want to pray in a way where they come up to me and say, man, what a great prayer. If that's what's in our heart, then that's exactly what Jesus is saying is, don't do that. But if your heart is, yo, this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation that I'm going to bring everybody else into. Because I pray they see you more clearly through this prayer, Jesus. Then guess what? That's letting your light shine before men. So the difference is, there's a difference. There's a difference between letting your light shine in order to be seen versus being seen, letting your light shine. If you're letting your light shine to be seen, you get your reward, which is people giving you a hand clap, retweeting you, or giving you praise. But if you're just doing what God has called you to do and people see you doing it, then he gets the praise. He gets the glory. So when somebody gives you a compliment for walking rightly before God, you can say, man, all glory to God, because this is what I'm supposed to do. I remember there was an episode of a comedy series that I like, and this guy called his boss, and he said, hey, I made a sale. And his boss said, congratulations. He's like, well, you know, it took a, no, 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 stop. Listen, congratulations on doing your job. And it's like, oh, snap, that hit me. 
Because I need to recognize that if I let my light shine before men, if I reflect the glory of Christ in the things that I do, and people say, hey, great job, great job, this is what a Jesus follower does. All glory goes to him. I'm just walking in obedience. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do as a Jesus follower, which is bring honor and glory to my Savior. So really, I cannot receive the praise. I've got to give it to God. That's why I'm saying be excellent at what you're passionate about and surrender your passions to Jesus. Don't let them become your idols. Because if you let them become your idols, I promise you, you will live in a very, very poor condition of life. The last thing I want to say is this. As the worship team comes up, a few months ago I had a great conversation with a young man that visited our church. And he struggled with embracing Jesus as his Savior because he was scared that he would have to give up the sport that he's a professional in. And I told him, I said, well, why do you think you have to give up the sport that you're excellent in and that you're a professional He's not just, like, trying to get in. Like, he's on a global level, and he plays for the United States of America, around the world. And I said, why would you think you had to give this up? And he said, because I'm just scared that if I give everything to Jesus, then I've got to give up my career. And I said, I don't know what you've been taught. I don't know who may have killed this dream. But I'm saying right now, this sport, because you don't know Jesus... You're actually telling me it's your idol. So I said, if you come to Jesus, coming to Jesus means taking the idol of your sport and giving it to Jesus as you give all of yourself to Jesus. And if Jesus has given you a gift and he's put you on a platform and you're healthy to play this sport and you're sought after by other countries and other teams around the world and you represent, why not say, Lord, this has been my idol but I give my whole being to you. Now, allow me to use it as the gift that you've given me. I can use it as a platform for your glory. Because I said to this brother, I said, how many of your teammates are followers of Jesus? And he was like, man, I don't think any of them are. And I'm like, and you live with them. And you're in the locker room with them. And you travel the world with them so you see how they live. And he's like, actually, yet yeah, none of them follow Jesus. And I'm like, why would Jesus not want to send you as a missionary to your team? And you get paid to do it. Brother, you ain't got to raise money like I do. Go do it. So how does that connect to you? This brother did not start playing that sport until he was 13 years old. In your season of life. He's a professional athlete. That day, in an inner city high school in Long Beach, he made a profession to follow Jesus. And he said, this is no longer my idol, but I recognize what it is. A gift from my God that I can use to bring glory to my Savior. And he's overseas, and he's been playing overseas the past six months. And I've been in contact with him, and guess what? He's living out his faith in Jesus. The moments that he doesn't get to play, the times he has to sit on the bench, his identity is no longer wrapped up in the sport. His identity is in Jesus, and he knows how to walk in that balance. He's learning that in his 20s. Imagine where he would be if he would have understood it in his teen years like you. 
So as you stand and as we move into a time of reflection and worship, I pray that you would surrender your heart to God and all of you with all of the things that God has given you as gifts. Use them as salt and light. Turn away from the idolatry of your gifts and see them as gifts to platform Christ. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for this moment as we enter this time of singing and reflection. Speak to us. Lead us. Let us confess our idolatry. Let us confess our addictions so that we will not allow the world to walk over our reputation. Let us be the salt for the earth globally. Let us be the light for the world. And allow us to be a city that is on top of a hill, looking at the world, visible before the world, so that they can see our glorious Lord, whose light we reflect, so that they may give you glory as they see us shining for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.